Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. We're very excited to announce that the application to join the 2017 class of Venture for America Fellows is now open. If you like what you've heard on the podcast and you're interested in building something, visit www.ventureforamerica.org slash apply. The application deadlines for the class of 2017 are September 26th, November 28th, and February 6th. Visit www.ventureforamerica.org slash apply for more information. Hey everyone, Jeremy Scheidwald here with another episode of Smart People Should Build Things, the Venture for America podcast. Today our guest is Glenn Coates. Glenn was attending trade shows for his employer when he came frustrated by the fact that he was writing down orders with a paper and pencil. He looked around and thousands of people were walking the trade show floor fumbling in the same way. This just didn't seem right. Sales could disappear with the loss of a paper or the slip of a pen. There had to be a better way. Glenn started to develop Handshake, a sales platform for B2B companies, which would certainly eliminate all that paper and streamline the, streamline the entire sales process. He was enrolled at Columbia Business School as Handshake started to take off, and on the first day of his MBA, he threw in the towel and launched a business that has been called the B2B version of Salesforce. Glenn has led Handshake from its inception, and it now has $23.5 million in funding and thousands of clients and many brand names. It's facilitated billions in sales, and despite it all, Glenn carries himself with the humility and with humility and speaks with the candor that one might expect from an Australian. I truly enjoyed chatting with Glenn Coates. A quick word about why we are here. VFA, Venture for America, is a fellowship program for enterprising recent college graduates who launch their careers as entrepreneurs and thus help revitalize American cities. After five weeks of training, VFA fellows spend two years in the trenches of a startup in an emerging U.S. city where they learn how to contribute to a high-growth business. Afterwards, VFA provides the mentorship, network, and resources fellows need to become entrepreneurs. To learn more about Venture for America and to support our work, you can visit ventureforamerica.org. A little about me, I launched the Mission Driven Group 12 years ago. Check out my firm at missiondrivengroup.com, and please remember to like our show on iTunes and to subscribe as well. And you can follow me on Twitter at Jeremy Scheinwald. Before we get to our show, let me ask you, do you need a website? Why not do it yourself with Wix.com? No matter what business you're in, Wix.com has something for you. Used by more than 77 million people worldwide, Wix.com makes it easy to get your website live today. You need to get the word out about your business. It all starts with a stunning website. With hundreds of designer-made, customizable templates to choose from, the drag-and-drop editor, there's no coding needed. You don't need to be a programmer or designer to create something beautiful. You can do it yourself with Wix.com. Wix.com empowers business owners to create their own professional websites every day. When you're running your own business, you're bound to be busy. Too busy. Too busy worrying about your budget, scheduling appointments. Too busy to build a website for your business. And because you're too busy, it has to be easy. And that's where Wix.com comes in. With Wix.com, it's easy and free. Go to Wix.com to create your website today. The result is stunning. And here is our interview with Glenn Coates. Welcome to Smart People Should Build Things, the Venture for America podcast. Building things can be really hard, and entrepreneurship is often portrayed in the media as the sexy or even worse, easy career path. Through this series, we plan to pull back the curtain and tell the gritty stories of entrepreneurship. We're striving to create a relaxed environment where entrepreneurs feel free to tell their stories. This is Smart People Should Build Things, the Venture for America podcast. Glenn, thanks, uh, thanks so much for being here. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. Big shout out to our mutual friend, Eric Schrader of Venwise for setting yep. this up. Yep. He is not a paid sponsor. <laughs> I'm just giving him the shout out because he deserves it. And he's, he's given us a whole bunch of great guests, actually, um, over yep. the years from the Venwise uh, stable. Yeah, uh, Eric's a good man, and, and Venwise is a, a great program. Um, I remember not quite understanding what it was before I was on the inside, and uh, having been in it a couple of years, I've... 
Uh, I've learned a ton the business. There are a number of really great people who are inside Handshake specifically because of Venwise. Some of my um, some of my closest uh, executives, and uh, yeah, I just want to yeah say thank you to Eric for everything he's done for the company. You've been great. Awesome. If the guy if the guy had a big ego, I'd be concerned about him right now. But he's, <laughs> he's got a small ego, so I'm not I'm not worried that we're inflating him too much. So let's talk about Handshake. Um, cool. So I, I mean, you tell the story uh, that so in somewhat fortuitous terms that. Like you were working for Envirosax, mm-hmm. and um, you kind of saw a, a problem, and um, you know you started to solve it. Maybe you can describe the problem that you, that you that you saw. Um, yeah. But you know, I'm, I'm always curious, like about people's entrepreneurial leanings from the beginning. We're like, yeah, I'm, I'm an entrepreneur. I know I am. I'm just looking for a problem to solve. Or it's like, hey, this problem confronted me, and now I'm going to be an entrepreneur. Yeah, I would say it's more the second, and then maybe even <clears throat> like the word entrepreneur is not one that I've ever used to describe myself. Um, I'm actually, so I'll, I'll talk a little bit about how I got going in a minute, but I'm very leery of anyone who describes themselves as an entrepreneur as when they're not actually running a company that has a clear like place in the market um you know i've had um (laughs) i had a i had a uh someone introduced to me recently who was a friend of one of my team members um and it's someone who's uh an australian and has a great job at a tech company here in the city um young guy and came in to talk to me and we were sitting at the bar at the back of our off at my office and um, he said, yeah, I want to be an entrepreneur. And I said, great, like, what, what's the idea? And he said, well, I've got a handful of ideas. And he described a few of them to me. And I said, tell me something, are you in love with any of these ideas enough where you literally won't be able to live with yourself if you don't do them? <clears throat> and he said, uh, like, I think they're pretty good ideas. And I said, listen, let me tell you about this thing. It's called the work sweats. The work sweats is where you wake up at 2 o'clock or 3 o'clock or 4 o'clock in the morning most nights of the week for the next five to ten years yeah absolutely and if you're not ready for that if you're not in love with the idea enough where you are willing to go through that because the idea is that good and you can't live with yourself if you don't do it just don't be an entrepreneur just for the sake of being an entrepreneur right just like you don't have to be zuckerberg that's one guy you know what i mean like um absolutely i mean you're my kind of guest we can wrap the interview right now because i'm I'm totally satisfied with this content no i hear you i I always say to people i've done some done some talks i'm like it's it's not that you have a good idea or the idea sounds good it's that it like keeps you up at night because you must do it right you, right. you 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 are compelled to do it. You're not like asking people if you think it's a a, a a good a good idea or if it should work. Right, and so like that that is kind of how I got to handshake. Was um, so I was working at Envirosax. It's like 2008, and um, you know I'm a, I'm a tech guy. Like I'm a I'm a former video games engineer, and I get launched into this completely different business, uh, essentially running distribution for a um, eco friendly shopping bag company. So I'm I've gone from a game studio in Sydney where I'm hacking away, you know, eight to 10 hours a day. And now I'm sitting in a warehouse at the back of Miramar Marine Corps base in San Diego, watching guys drive forklifts around and, you know, dealing with UPS and FedEx trucks, right? And so um, the way Handshake happened was I, I started going to these trade shows and I would, um, you know, the, the stores that would consider stocking our products would come up to me at the shows and they would look at the product and if they liked it, we would write the orders. I wrote the orders on paper for a year and thought that was crazy. Um, and then I started looking on the app store for, I mean, there's got to be an app to do this, like for sure. And I spend a, a year looking in the app store. There isn't one. I end up licensing a kind of legacy solution that ran on like a palm pilot and it was like yeah it was technology but none of my team wanted to use it it was just clunky and slow and so the kind of moment of inception for a handshake or the like the, the kind of ticking the, the tipping point was um, I was at one of these shows in 2010 and by this point I've been looking on the app store for this thing that I need in my business and in my life for two years um and I'm talking to one of the tech support guys who works for this Palm Pilot vendor thing that I've been using. Um, and I said, look, man, when are you guys going to do an iPhone app? And the guy says to me something to the effect of, between you and me, I'm just like a lowly tech support guy, but I, I agree. I think we should have an iPhone app. But you know, our company, that's not their strategy. They're more of a Microsoft company. They kind of think iOS is like a fad. And I was like... 
that doesn't sound right. Um, and this kind of thing went through my head, which was, frankly, it's a miracle that I've gone two years. We're two years into the iPhone existing, or maybe even more by that point, and no one's done this. And like, I must be one of the few people in the world who has a pretty strong computer science background who has then also worked in a warehouse for two to three years. Right kind of strangely and then also the iPhone's been invented for two years and the iPad just got invented and I kind of feel like if I don't do this right now six months from now or a year from now someone else will do it and I'll like I won't be able to live with myself and so it wasn't like it, it, it took that you know I didn't I wasn't like walking around on the street saying I want to be an entrepreneur I want to be an entrepreneur like what can I build it was like that thing of like, if I don't do this, I won't be able to live with myself. Right. You know? Um, and so I'm curious, like, so, you, I mean, so you have this this epiphany and, and you won't be able to live with yourself. Mm-hmm. But there is, like, we, we're, we're talking about this in very emotional terms. Um, mm-hmm. And was there, was there, was there, I mean, you're an engineer. Was there, was there, mm-hmm. was there a practical side as well where it's like, okay, now that I'm emotionally committed to this idea, mm-hmm. I still have to sketch it out and, and, and figure out whether it's a good idea or was it like, let's go. Yeah, I, I literally flew home from that trade show where that guy said that thing to me, and I was like, "Look, I'm a half decent engineer. I'm just going to download Xcode from you know the Apple website, and I'm just going to start hacking around and see what I can come up with." And I had no idea that Handshake, Handshake would turn into the business that it's become. Um, you know, initially I was just thinking, "Yeah, I'll just like throw together an app. I'll make a little kind of app store money here, and it'll be cool." And who knows, right? Um, so. You know, I mean, if anything, I think what I'm saying is there's a little bit of an adver- advertisement for computer science education is that I didn't have to go out and design it. I didn't have to go out and find a con- like a consulting, you know, dev shop to build it. I was just like, I'm just going to download this thing and see if I can hack something together. And, you know, it was pretty quick to get to some early prototype stuff. And then, you know, it was, it was easy to, it wasn't easy. It was a lot of work, but I was able to realize like the version 0.01 um, with my own two hands. And I think having a working piece of software in your hands that you're showing to, you know, someone who, you know, is in the industry and you're saying, hey, what do you think of this? And they're saying, wow, that's pretty cool. If you can get to that point by yourself, that's a big advantage. Um, and so, yeah, I think, you know, having a computer science background really helped me get to, you know, version 0.1. So you know. It sounds like Handshake almost started as like a, a project. Like you're, yeah. you're, 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 you've got a job and, yeah. and you're just like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to develop this on the side and just, and just see what it is. Right, exactly. It was just, let's see what I can do. Um, you know, I'm curious to... I'm curious to sort of experiment with iPhone programming because that was kind of new at the time. But I was just like, I know that this problem exists, right? I was just at a convention where there were 5,000 companies walking around doing this insane thing on pieces of paper. And by the way, that's just one industry. I suspect that it's not just the accessories and handbags industry that I'm exposed to on a daily basis. I suspect that every company that ships product into retail stores or other businesses is probably doing something not very smart like this and that intuitively feels to me like a kind of big opportunity which kind of goes into the i won't be able to live with myself thing right so i i read that that you attended this is i think this is awesome you attended columbia business school for one day yeah <laughs> uh, <laughs> just as hand Angie was getting off the ground i mean is is it is it like these two these two things meet like you know going to Columbia Business School which which is you know very it's exciting for a lot of people yeah um, and then is it like wow I didn't think Handshake would be this far along have this kind of traction by day one at, at, at Columbia and like I kind of have to go with that instead is, is that how, you, yeah you so, tell me yeah like the way it went down was so I moved to New York from San Diego in about April of 2010. And I knew that I was going to eventually move away from running Envirosax because I, I just kind of had plateaued a little bit in, in my learning there. Um, but I didn't know what I was going to do next. And so I thought, well, I'm going to hack away on this project. But I, I didn't even know what the term venture capital meant at that point. Um, and uh, I thought, I'm just going to hack away on this thing, but who knows what's going to happen with that. So I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. Ah, I'll go to business school. You know, that'll fix it. <laughs> um <laughs> And, uh, 
And look, it was a bit more than that. I knew that I might end up wanting to run a company one day and that I'd wanted to do a good job of that. I, it was really important to me that if I was going to um, be responsible for, you know, the well-being and the, of people and their families and stuff, that I do a good job of running a company. So I thought I could probably learn some stuff. Um, but the way it went down was I, I ended up hacking on Handshake nights and weekends through probably October of 2010, put it on the App Store November. Um, and all the while I'm doing my application to get in Columbia, I get in first. And so Handshake goes onto the App Store in November. I start getting these early test beta users. It was free at that point. Um, and uh, and I'm working like an animal on this thing all day and then i suddenly get to columbia and i go to my first day and i spend all day in class and i realize that you know what i've been spending 12 to 14 hours a day on now needs to get compressed into the two hours that i have when i go home at night from school and uh i remember having this conversation with my parents where i called them and i said so uh yeah, I think I'm going to drop out of business school. What do you think about that? <laughs> what, did they, what did they think? <laughs> and mom and dad were awesome about it. They, they said, that sounds awesome. Like this app thing looks really, looks great. Like we totally get it. Like you should totally do that. Um, and so I, I kind of marched into the dean's office the next morning and uh, kind of kind of gave him the news. I thought he was going to be like heartbroken and like, oh my God, oh, can't bear to lose you. Oh God. Um, actually, it was totally fine. Like they have a long waiting list and it was like not a problem. But um, uh, but the good thing was that, you know, I had not anticipated quitting business school. And so um, I had been frantically saving money that entire year to cover the fees. And so when I walked out onto 116th Street and jumped on the one train and headed back downtown, um, I was just like, oh, wow, I just have, like, this money now. And, like, that's cool. I could probably just work on Handshake full-time for a while, and that was cool. So um, I inadvertently created a small amount of angel funding for Handshake as a result of doing that. Yeah. The um, so, so so Handshake at this point, it's it, you're a couple months in, and it's really it's still just you programming, putting in the store, right. and you've yep. got, you seems like you've got an a, a awful lot of traction at that point. Um, um, well, I had a lot of... Well, I had a lot of people using it or giving it a try, but no one was actually paying for it at that point because um, I was still in free beta mode. Okay. Um, so I spent the first half of 2011 getting it to the point where I felt like it was there was enough traction. I had enough like positive feedback from users to tell me that it was a real thing. Um, and then we cut it over to being a paid only service uh in july of 2011 um and then you know and then there was kind of this moment of truth of like oh man like how many of the free users are actually going to pay for this thing um and then enough of them did and we started building and then that's when um i brought mike uh, my friend uh mike elm green um into basically be the business co-founder of the company um and and then kind of everything went from there so yeah actually curious about the about the the paid model because yep. it's just a, it's just a subscription fee right it's it, it is yeah and so, i mean was there consideration given to hey subscription plus we'll take a tiny percentage of of uh of orders and how, I mean, how did yeah. you how did you make those those choices um, yeah, it's a good question. Like, it's honestly a question that we kind of still grapple with. Like, it's a it's a valid business model. I think, uh, you know, in the end, uh, like taking a taking a percentage of revenue is a thing that gets tricky when you're serving lots of different kind of businesses that have different price points and different margin structures. Mm. <clears throat> so if you're um, you know, if one of our customers is Bugaboo, they sell a fairly high-priced item that is, I'm guessing, fairly high margin. I have one. Um, uh, yep. Yep. So it's, you it's, you know the pocket hit. <laughs> very very lucky we got it as a gift, but, but very expensive. <laughs> right. So like the margin on Bugaboo strollers is very different to the margin on cans of Coca-Cola. Right. Um, and so coming up with a percentage of revenue model that makes sense across multiple industries can be tough. Um, so that's one of the reasons we've kind of veered away from that a little bit. Um, but, you know, I think in the end, it's about value creation. And at the end of the day, like if you get to the the question must be answered in the end, which is, hey, Handshake, if we're going to like pay for your software, how much value are you going to create in our business? Like how much extra sales are we going to get? How much reduced cost reduction are we going to get? And what's that worth to us? And then what's your end of that going to be? 
and if you get to that through a percentage of revenue or if you get through that to that through negotiated licensing it sort of doesn't matter in the end because you're always going to you're going to have there's going to be a come to Jesus moment where they look at like for us we want to keep our customers for 5 to 10 years right so if you come up with the wrong cost structure when they get to that year 1 renewal if it looks out of whack and they're not getting enough value to offset the cost you're dead in the water anyway so um however you get to it you have to ultimately come to jesus on that on that kind of question that actually makes it makes a ton of sense yeah. it's like you're gonna you're gonna extract something from them at some point it doesn't right. matter necessarily what form it's in as, right. as long as they perceive that there's value and you can keep going right, right. that right. makes a ton of sense so uh, this is a great quote for you i i am quoting you uh, uh-huh. so you told business insider when you have a lot of money you really good get good at spending money yep. we're completely bootstrapped so the company has to run on its own revenues so i love i'm a bootstrapper i love that stuff yeah um uh, how much time did it take? How, how, many, how, how much? How much leeway do you have? You just said you know you got your Columbia check back. Right. You know, did you have a year to make this profitable? Did you have six months? Yeah. Um, when did it have to work? And it sounded like that really worked on worked well for you because you had a profit model in mind from the beginning. Yeah. Well, look. I mean, we it was always uh, it was always we were never like super profitable. It was always like how fast can we make the next bit of revenue so we can invest it back into growing the product um so you know it was just me and mike for uh you know a little while we added our first engineer around the beginning of 2012 by the end of 2012 we were up to uh meet myself mike and three engineers um but uh yeah look i mean I think it's a great lesson for a company to have to go through to figure out how to balance the books and bootstrap. Um, I think the, the turning point for me where, which was probably after I gave that quote in that article, was realizing that um, the, the initial problem that we set out to solve was kind of a tip of an iceberg, right? So the, I'm at a trade show, I want to have an iPhone app for punching in these orders is really just the tip of the iceberg of the larger problem, which is there are lots of businesses out there that are selling stuff and it could be bugaboo strollers, it could be you know, candy and soda to grocery stores, it could be footballs, it could be whatever. Um, the problems those businesses have are not confined to what happens on a trade show floor and really the challenge they've got is that they are struggling with how to go to market in a modern way um, and whether that's sales reps out on the road writing orders on pieces of paper or it's you know the purchasing manager at a store having to call up customer service to place an order these companies need a better way to do business and that goes beyond a little bit like just the iPhone app thing um, and so I kind of figured out very quickly, well, this isn't just about that point solution. It's about a platform that allows these companies to serve their customers better online, in person, on mobile, on the web. And I realized that the technology vision was a lot bigger than I'd originally thought. And so I then knew that I was going to need to um, invest ahead of the curve on on basically product and engineering in order to really make that come true, you know. Is your business undervalued because you don't have a website? If you could build a powerful and exciting website, free of charge, in just one day, you would do it, wouldn't you? If you're looking to save money, yet you need a newer, improved website, Wix.com might be the place for you. Wix.com has helped over 80 million business owners just like you. Wix is the biggest player in the website builder landscape. Their drag-and-drop editor combined with hundreds of designer-made templates make it so no coding is needed while still giving you the creative freedom to perfect every last detail. Every second your business spends without a website is money lost. With Wix.com, you can build a website that you will want to show off because it displays that you run a trustworthy and respectable business. Wix.com is guaranteed to give you the website your business deserves. Don't feel like Wix is your only option, but why not give it a try? You have nothing to lose and everything to gain. Wix.com. A stop here may just be the thing your business needed. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. This is Smart People Should Build Things, the Venture for America podcast. You're talking about building something that's much bigger than you, than you thought. Um, 
you know, you mentioned Bugaboo coming on. Mm-hmm. Like, was there a, was there a day where you just somehow I, I don't know if you had a list of the companies that were. I'm assuming they had to put some information in as they download the app. Uh-huh. Um, was there a day where you're like, oh my god, I can't believe we had, that brand is now using right. our app? Like, who who was it, and and how soon? I mean, was yeah. it just like every day? You're like, okay, I'm starting to know these companies. This is crazy. Right. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember there was this. Uh, the one that really jumped out to me was uh, so one of our one of our customers is is Roland Music, who make you know guitar pedals. They make keyboards. They're like I think maybe the second biggest music company in the world. And myself and Mike are both musicians. We actually met in high school playing music, and so to see the kind of trial sign up come in from Roland Music um, was like we were like, whoa, is that <laughs> the Roland Music? Um, and uh, yeah, that was pretty cool. And you know, we we have a there's been a number of companies over the years that we felt that way about. But more than the companies, I think the fact that you know, like having Roland come on board was awesome. Not because they were Roland, although that was cool. Um, it was, hey, we made a bunch of assumptions that the product that you needed in your little eco-friendly shopping bag company might be used by other companies in other industries and it was more like the diversity of the companies we saw coming through the doors that was the clue that this thing's actually going to be really big because if it can work for all these companies this could just work for everyone and like that's a big business you know and i'm sure you have more and more people downloading these and and using the app but like Mm -hmm. Are you kind of are you following up with them, being like, "Hey, why did you download this? How are you?" I mean, I know oh, 100%. data. Yeah, yeah, you got it. I mean, we we didn't have so many signups that we couldn't like reach out to people. And I mean, it's crazy. Like, the, you want to talk about low tech? The original signup form in Handshake was like we didn't have a website. I think we had like a one page website that just had like a Vimeo video of the app or something crazy right. like that. Um, and the only way to get a Handshake account in the early days was there was a button inside the app that said "Sign up for an account." And all it did was launch the email composer on your iPhone. And it was just an, a, the subject was pre-filled and it said, um, I would like a handshake account. And then it just below that said, please tell us about your business and why you want to do this. <laughs> and then I would get these emails from all these different kind of people telling me like what they wanted to do. And I would always write back to them and get on the phone and be like, tell me about the business. Oh, that's interesting. And it was uh again there was like that thing of like wow like listen look at all the, look at the diversity of these businesses i wonder how big this could really be so it's worth mentioning like during this time you were you were consulting to another company which was yeah. ultimately acquired by yahoo yep um like were you were you hedging a bit just hoping to make a few bucks to keep handshake going or um you know was there a conversation like cuz i mean this thing exploded you were dealing with like 100 million dollars in 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 yeah. you know business being done on on your app and in like only like i think about less than a year i wrote it down somewhere yep um you, like, yeah i was well i was yeah. sort of trying to keep the bootstrapping thing going essentially right, right? like i knew that um I knew that I needed money to keep it going and there was a long period of time as I said where Handshake was not a paid service so I was trying to essentially extend runway um, and uh, yeah that was a so that was a uh, I met I met those guys through I think through the WeWork kind of community at the time um, and uh, I'm still good friends with I actually went to uh, the wedding of the former CTO of um, of, uh, of Bread a couple of weeks ago in LA so they're, they're great people and yeah, it was an opportunity to kind of extend runway, but then also because I was the only engineer at the time, it was also an opportunity to try and learn a bit more about building scalable systems and reliable systems because we wanted Handshake to be scalable and reliable. So it was a good experience from that point of view as well. Well, it's incredibly scrappy. I, yeah. I love it. Uh, so, you know, the, the company's starting to grow and there's like $100 million in orders. Are there any cracks that are starting to show? I mean, it, it's trying to, I'm trying to take us from like it just being you and maybe you and a partner and then... Yep. What starts to happen? Like, where are you like, oh, we we need more hands on deck and yeah. here? Well, the, the crack was, um, <laughs> the crack was, it turns out it's actually really hard to hire good software engineers, right? And especially in like 2011, 2012, we're still in the heyday of like social mobile local, right? And so um, going to meetups and going to WeWork community events and trying to hire ju- like engineers by saying, hey, I've got this like B2B commerce mobile thing that you and your mom and your dad and your friends will never use. <laughs> Do you want to come work on that? <laughs> um, 
that was tough yeah. when the guy next to him saying like, hey, I'm going to do this like new dating app or whatever, right? <laughs> um, that was before Facebook IPO'd and then fell into the toilet. And, and so it was really hard to get traction with engineers. Um, and this moment came where I think it was me, Mike, and Dave who were the first three people in the company. Dave was the first engineer we hired. And um, it was really hard to get the next one, which we really needed. And then two people became available to me at the same time through introductions from friends, two engineers who were interested and wanted the job. And it, it kind of went from like, oh, we're burning a little bit of money each month. Like we're kind of scraping the top off our savings to like, holy shit, our savings are going to be gone in two months, right? Um, and so when we hit that point, um, I ended up, saying to my mom and dad like hey i've just burned through all of my like columbia kind of you know war chest um you know i think i'm gonna have to go raise money if i really want to hire engineers at this rate um and mom and dad actually staked me another amount again uh of what i'd saved for uh the columbia stuff which was awesome of them um and that was enough runway for me to you know maintain that team of me mike and three engineers and then go out and have the time to to raise money so definitely want to talk about raising money but i'm also curious yeah. about the transition from being a programmer to now now you've got you've got you've got people you're looking after yep. and and you've skipped mm-hmm. business school which ostensibly should be teaching you to be a, a general manager and yep. and yet even then i mean business school can't teach you everything you know right. and, and so you know you like suddenly you're dealing with, I don't know, developing a compensation scheme or right. marketing or something that you haven't done before. Like, right. where, where, how, how are you managing your own transition from programmer to manager? Yeah, look, I mean, it's a really brutal learning curve, honestly. Um, and I think the best thing I've been able to do is, uh, I guess, know that you don't know everything and be sort of like a step one is like, knowing like looking up the hill and realizing how hard this learning curve is going to be and just sort of having that moment where you're like damn it's going to take a lot of work for me to get good at this new job of being a ceo or being you know uh, an executive or a board member and um you know i was lucky enough to be surrounded by um you know just good advisors so eric at venwise has been awesome i met good people through bread and we work who have been really good advisors i've um, over the years as the company's grown and we could afford it I'm you know I have a CEO coach now um, you know my board members uh, you know from the investors who invest in handshake um, are great people and they are really happy to coach me through things find people who can coach me through things so um, <clears throat> I think sort of knowing that you don't know everything and and working hard to build a network of people who can help you learn quickly um my, my the favorite thing that my coach says to me was he maybe said it in in our first call was um here's the thing glenn like in venture-backed land um learning at the rate of experience is too slow hmm. if you're only learning through the mistakes you make it's not going to work and so you need to find a way to accelerate your learning beyond experience. And that can be reading books. It can be talking to me. It can be meeting with advisors. It doesn't really matter. But just know that experience is not going to get you there. So you've going to the fundraising. I mean, you, you've been sort of in, in two pretty unique fundraising environments. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm imagining that, you know, I don't know, what was this 2012, 2013, when you go try, try and raise a million and a half bucks? Uh, it was uh, end of 2012, yeah. 2012. Yep. That you just kind of said, like, sent out an email saying, like, hey, I'm trying to raise money. And people just showed up at your door offering you money. I mean, I, I'm, you know, I'm being a little facetious. It wasn't but, exactly like um, that. <laughs> it, it, it wasn't? It, it, was, well, it wasn't? It was tough to raise the one, the one and a half million dollars and well, you have all it, this traction? It got, it got easier. Well, so. Yeah, it's 2012. It's still a little, yeah, it's a little still, early. Yeah, yeah. Well, so a couple of things that went, a couple of things that happened that helped us. Then one was that we went from. <laughs> it's almost like a little bit of revenues worse than no revenue. Mm-hmm. Like when you've got no revenue, you can just like sell the promise. Like it's going to be this, it's going to be that. Like I've got no data, so just believe, right? But as soon as you have any data, like projecting the curve from like a few thousand dollars of recurring revenue to like hundred million, <laughs> right? is tough right Right. um and so we it's kind of little known fact but we actually attempted and failed to raise money in the middle of 2012 um when we had like we were in that place where we had 
some but very little revenue like right at the beginning of it um and it was tough um and also our, our approach to fundraising wasn't very strategic and we learned a lot from kind of doing it the wrong way I, I can talk for hours about you know the things that we did wrong there um so it's, but two things changed between the middle of 2012 and the end of 2012 one is we went from having a tiny shred of revenue to having you know a decent kind of early showing of revenue that is you know at the time i think we were doing uh like in annualized terms we were probably doing somewhere between a qu- somewhere around a quarter million in in arr um and that's enough proof right like this sort of it's one of those yardsticks that that's starting to feel like enough proof so we went from having like maybe 50000 to $250,000 of ARR around that time, which made a difference. The other thing that happened is Facebook IPO'd and the world of social mobile local suddenly got very unpopular and the world of like B2B SaaS enterprise software kind of got very kind of in vogue um, and that just helped with momentum. So those two things changed. When, when you started trying to fundraise and you couldn't raise the money, <laughs> were, were your parents like, we didn't we just give you money and this thing's not gonna gonna, you're not gonna raise money and why we just kind of invested yeah were they worried about you uh i think mum and dad have always been worried about (laughs) (laughs) um yeah no i mean look they they mum and dad have always been really supportive um and uh they, they knew that i think they knew that it could be big it's just one of those things that's like instinctive it's like hang on a minute, you're making software to help sell anything from one business to another business. That just kind of instinctively feels kind of big, right? right. Um, so, yeah, but I mean, in the interest of kind of helping the helping the, the listeners, um, the thing that we learned about failing to raise money in 2012 that we didn't know ahead of time was we just weren't, we, we kind of trickled it in. We kind of limped it in. It was like we'd get introduced to this guy over here and this guy over here and we'd be taking first meetings with this uh, investor whereas we were at fourth meetings with these guys and it was this very, very, very staggered process with different people moving at different speeds um, <clears throat> and the second time we went out to raise money, we didn't do that. We went out and we got a list of, I talked to everyone I knew, I got a list of 40 or 50 funds that we could potentially talk to and then we got intros to everyone all at the same time we said we're going to be out in the bay area for these five days we're taking meetings you know and not everyone took a meeting but creating the structure around the process and making it clear that we're running a process and it's going to happen inside this time window so like you need to kind of play ball here a little bit and understand that if you don't move quickly enough, someone else will. Um, that created enough momentum in the process to get us there. Whereas before, like, when, some, when, when an investor's looking at you and they say, hey, what's the timeline here? And you're saying, oh, well, we're just waiting for the right, right. person. In their heads, they're like, great. So I'm just going to keep waiting until more results show up here because like, why would I, like, there's no pressure to act. So why don't I just wait until you've got double as much revenue as you've got right now, and then I'll invest. So you know what I mean. So like, we learned that that approach didn't really work that well. Is that an example of uh, what was the quote from your from your mentor? Um, learning at the speed of experience. Learning at the rate of experience is too slow. Is yeah. that is that is that an example? You're like uh, I think so. Yeah. yeah I mean, like just, people told me that ahead of time. Like I could have easily asked like three other entrepreneurs about like fundraising strategy, and I would have got that easily. Right. Um. So yeah, it's a good example of like I could have run that process a lot better, and it wouldn't have taken that much kind of education to, to, to do that. You know? That's right. I, I, it, the formalized process like that, I mean, I've never raised money, but I mean, mm-hmm. I, you know, it intuitively makes so much sense, right? You right. did it like mm-hmm. the, way a, the way a bank would go out to market right. and just sort of try and force people into a decision-making process. Right. And you're going to miss the boat if you don't do it. Right, exactly. It's yeah. the same thing. I mean, because yeah. we've had so many guests on the show who've been like, you know, yeah, I finally, all, they all started to fall in line. Like, I finally got one, and then the other was like, oh, they're investing? All right, fine. We'll, 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 we're yeah. thinking about it, and now we'll do it. And obviously, yep. you're, you're having a real process makes a ton of sense. Um, and and then recently, you raised four, you raised fourteen million dollars in March, and so mm-hmm. that's why I'm saying you're sort of part of maybe okay, maybe three different fundraising environments with each round, which is yep. pretty rare. Um, you maybe were a little before the boom, and then you were right in the middle of of kind of the easy money boom. Yep. And then now it's tough out there. Like you know, real businesses are. Are talking about how tough it is, and um, 
you know, but you still managed to raise fourteen million dollars in March. Yep. How tough was it? And was the secret to, to, to fundraising was it and this is something Eric and I talk about all the time because I'm so into starting with a profit, you know, motive and, and getting there. Yep. Was it that you're profitable, that you can raise money on a profitable business at this point? Yeah, well look, I mean at this stage of a business, um, profitability helps um but it's more about i mean for us it was more about the size of the market um and the uh the improving kind of unit economics we were seeing in the business um so i think i think at some point obviously every business has to become profitable like there has to be that moment of truth um but for handshake the technology we're building is pretty large and complicated and so the profitability expectations of a company like this at an early stage are probably lower than they would be for other like enterprise software is just like this right if you want to build a company like salesforce or a company like sap or a company like handshake or a company like um you know marketo um it's there's just a lot of early upfront investment you need to do to make companies like that work and so um it wasn't as much about profitability today as what are the signs about the size of the market and the unit economics of what you're doing that tell us it will become profitable in a, in a compelling way um, in the future. So that's about the road to profitability, but, that's, but someone can see it. Or am I, yeah. am I putting words in your yeah, mouth? Yeah, that's right. It's basically, it's about that road, how long that's going to take, and and what is the market opportunity at the other end of that? I mean, like one of the biggest things that goes in our favor is just the massive scale of the problem that we're we're solving and you know risk adjusted for any investor or frankly any employee who's thinking about joining the company that's how you got to think about it it's like well we got to build this big complicated product but if we do that wow this could be just a really big game-changing company and that's the math that everyone does in their head i'm curious about something now you mentioned that like you're you're talking about you know how much an investment and customization you need to have for different clients, and how. Mm-hmm. Um, and now you've got this fourteen million dollars in funding, and and um, you know this staff, and 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 um, I guess where I'm going with all this is that you, know, you talked at the beginning about like, hey, I've got to do this, or someone else is going to do it. Uh-huh. And I mean, are there are there a bunch of others who who ultimately tried it? I mean, is this a highly competitive market at this point? Yeah. Or, or, or have you guys built up all these walls to prevent? competitors well yeah so uh, it's it's not an idea business right like i'll talk to anyone about what the idea of handshake is all day long it doesn't help there's no secret source like me telling you that we're a mobile first b2b commerce platform (laughs) and me demoing the product to you doesn't give you anything right it's enterprise software and it's hard to build and it's hard to build not only because it's a challenging technical problem but it's also you need to understand the industry and understand how it works and why it's different to previous attempts to solve the problem to really be successful um and so i don't i don't i'm not secretive about that um but um yeah, so it's 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 not a, it's not a secret source. It's a so the competitors who started around the same time as us in many ways were um, industry people. Like there were um, like fashion industry people or um, you know furniture industry people who built companies like this. Um, some of those smaller companies over time have struggled a little bit because. Um, knowing the market is important, but it's a really hard technical problem. And as things have scaled up, those companies have like found it harder to continue to build a product that works. Um, frankly, at this point, I think our market isn't so much competitive with other startups. It's competitive with the you know the enterprise software companies who understand the value of commerce software and are you know trying to turn their battleships to do something in this space and i'm talking about like the saps the oracles the sales forces mm-hmm. the net suites of the world um and you know you know they have a lot more resources than us but they're also trying to drive a battleship that isn't necessarily geared towards you know producing great customer facing you know commerce experiences really understanding the web really understanding mobile that's a big dna change for them so kind of good news bad news is they've got a lot of resources and can theoretically do it bad news is 
their DNA isn't really in that. And so that's the kind of race we're in is, you know, that is our DNA and how fast can we build a, a really amazing product before they can kind of turn the ships. It sounds like that that would be the type of thing that would that would keep you up at night. A <laughs> big, right. big, well uh, financed companies that could that could compete. But I, I want to go back to like what you were saying at the beginning. You know, yeah. you said uh, I think you said ten years. You know, are you ready for ten years in to wake up with night sweats? Yeah. And, and and you seem like a pretty cool character. But I, I'm I'm curious. I mean, how, so how many years are we in now? What uh, six? Six years in. Yeah. So six years in. Yeah. So you're, are you out of the night sweats after six years? No, because uh, no? this stuff never gets easier. You know, it's like it's always a new. Challenge and it's not just a challenge for the business; it's a challenge for me as, C- as CEO, right? Like, you know, I'm trying to hire executives now who are people who've built thirty, fifty, hundred million dollar businesses, and I have to level up as a CEO enough to go and engage with someone like that and convince them to come and help me build this business, you know, and and you know, sixty five people. You know, we're a company of 65 people today. That is the biggest company I've ever been in in my career. And, you know, handshake at five people when it was me, Mike, Dave, Angel, and Jason around a table to 15 to 65. Like, now we're trying to figure out how do we become really great at having a great middle management team, which was, like, not a thing, like, two years ago. We didn't need that. Everyone reported to me or Mike or, like, one or two other people. Um, and so it's it's always a challenge. It's like I don't expect it to get any easier in the next five years, you know, unless I'm not the CEO anymore, in which case it might not get. But if I stay the CEO, <laughs> right. I don't expect it to get any easier. You know? You're talking yeah. about managing 65 people. And um, mm-hmm. I, I, I think it was Business Insider named Handshake, one of the best companies to, to work for in 2014. Mm-hmm. I'm curious if you've created a culture, create a culture at Handshake that is. Have you set out to create a certain kind of culture that would become the type of place people want to work, or is it as the culture kind of created itself? Is it just kind of evolved? Yeah. So, so this is a really hard thing for me, but just based on my personality and, you know, I'm. If anyone hasn't figured it out yet, I'm Australian, which it's a real it's a real subtle accent. I'm sure I'm not I sure if you spit my water across yeah. you. Your delivery was awesome. Okay. Um, uh, so Australians, by their nature, are extremely sarcastic, awful people, um, and so being like a rah rah cheerleader and putting values up on a wall that talking, like, yeah, we're about honor and integrity and like blah 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 all that stuff it doesn't it's really does not come um as like it's not natural to me to Mm -hmm. be that kind of cheerleader um honestly it's something that i'm kind of working on but the culture at handshake was basically emergent i remember having a meeting with i think the company when it was 15 people and saying like we don't have a statement of values here and um I think it's probably time that we sit down and talk about what those are. And interestingly, the values at Handshake came out of a discussion where I kind of set the table for the team as I said, let's ask the question of like, what are the behaviors and the values that we really we really think are true to who we are? But let's talk about which ones we think are going to get eroded the most as we grow and get diluted. Um, and so our values came out of that, like thinking about what are the things that we do that we really like, that we are could really easily see getting kind of worn away as we grew the team. Can you give an example of something like that? Um, yeah. Uh, so like our, our first our first value is uh, collaborate with respect, which is um, you know it's easy to do that when you're ten people sat around two tables, and if you like mouth off at someone like like too bad now you that person's looking at you giving you death stares from like two feet away for the rest of the day it's easier to be like not that respectful to someone who sits a hundred feet away in a team that you never deal with um and so i think you know it's like it's classic kind of management book stuff but you know i'd rather have a team of you know b players that operates as a team than a bunch of a players who can't work together right and frankly if you can't work together you're not really an a player um and so that value came out of a sense of well as we grow these personal relationships may not be as tight as they are today and like how do we defend against that and really like enshrine that in our culture to say no you you know (laughs) our subtitle for collaborate with respect is don't be a dick (laughs) 
<laughs> right. Um, and uh, and we wanted to enshrine that. But the the one that's actually really defended our culture the most is actually the fifth value that we have, and it's the final one, um, which is we only hire them if we love them. Mm. And having that be the bar when a hiring manager makes a thumbs up decision on someone is has drawn together like ticking a bunch of boxes on someone when they're like do they have this skill and do they have this experience and yada 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 that kind of box ticking higher thing can like lead to like a dilutive culture effect but if you really ask your hiring managers to kind of have that moment with themselves where they ask do i really love this person am i going to be heartbroken if they don't accept this offer if that's the standard then culture kind of reinforces and 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 kind of grows itself rather than getting kind of diluted away so that's the one that i'm I feel the strongest about. So it sounds like there was an awful lot of intentionality around de- designing the culture at Handshake. Yeah, there, there was. I mean, but that only happened in like that, that, that moment of the team getting together and doing that only happened in 20, I want to say that happened in like 2014, right? That's only two years ago now. So there was a long time of it just being, um, you know, when we hired someone, we really, really, really checked if we wanted to hire them. Um, but yeah, we went a long time without really having explicit company values, which was, again, a, a symptom of having a first-time CEO who maybe didn't really understand the value of writing those things down, you know. That first-time CEO being you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I feel I've, I've got a few more questions, but I, I know you've got a sales call. I've got to let you go. Uh, Glenn, it's been a lot of fun. You've been an awesome, awesome guest. Yeah. Uh, so thanks for doing this. And yeah. Uh, I'm always terrible at ending the show, but this one is true. I'd love to. We'd love to have you back at some point awesome. uh, to hear about the progress at Handshake. It sounds like there's a lot of there's a lot left to accomplish, but it sounds like an amazing path with a lot left to accomplish. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me, and uh, yeah, I'd love to love to help out in the future. Great. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.